welcome to the Business Exchange, How Business Works, brought to you by the American Business Council. Uh, the Business Exchange is a bi-weekly program where business executives and industry experts share insights on how business works and highlight the biggest stories in business and policy. As always, our guests will make uh, bold predictions on various sectors of the economy and, and also share their insights, interesting insights on uh, the issues and topics that we would uh, put on the radar. Today, our discussion will focus on the 2020 U.S. impact uh, survey. Our guests will share some background information on how this survey started and speak to, to some aspects of the data from the survey, as well as perhaps interpret some interesting indicators. To join the program, please follow us on Twitter at abcouncil underscore ng and use the hashtag HowBusinessWorks. Uh, just to give you a sense of a background, uh, in 2017, uh, the American Business Council released uh, the results of uh, the very first comprehensive business survey of U.S. firms operating in Nigeria, working with the um, U.S. mission and um, a, a number of our key professionals and um, service um, organizations, PwC, Accenture, and uh, KPMG. And this uh, report or survey um, showed the significant impact that U.S. trade and investment um, has on the um, the economy of Nigeria. Uh, we have over 100 American companies currently operating in the country, according to you know what we found through the survey work uh, since 2017. And 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 so we will stop at this point and just. Um, Welcome our guest to join the discussion. Today, joining the discussion is Ni Yusuf. Now, Ni is the managing partner of Veraki uh, Partners, and also, uh, if my, my little research um, holds true, is the social um, sector lead of Veraki as well. I mean, Ni wears a lot of caps I'm not prepared to start talking about right now because, um, you know, but it, it is some person that you, you really want to hear can talk about you know the um, issues around policy and the economy. Um, I, we also have in the in the virtual room we have Delia Suzu. Delia heads the marketing and communication for PwC. Hi, me and uh, hello, Delia. Welcome to the show. Hi, good I would, Yeah, yeah. Thank good afternoon. Yeah. Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, so so happy to have you on the show. I know it wasn't uh, really easy to get you on board, right? Um, so can you? I uh, would start with me. Can you briefly share with us what you do and a bit about your organization? I, I actually specifically left that because I, I, I wanted you to um, All right. share Thanks. some thoughts around Thanks. that. Thanks, Margaret. Um, so I'm the managing partner at Veraki, uh, Veraki Partners. Uh, Veraki Partners is a business solution firm formed by Nigerians and focused on de developing solutions that are fit for purpose to solve most of the seemingly intractable problems on the continent. Um, and we formed Veraki Partners after more than 30 years working with Accenture. Um, beyond being the managing partner, I also lead our social sector practice. And social sector speaks to public sector, not-for-profit, health, education. And that's really the bit, uh, the arm of the practice that looks to helping government and looks to transforming human development um, on the continent. Thank you. 
Uh, so, Dilia, please, can you share some thoughts about your yourself, please, and the organization? Okay. Um, my name is Didi Susan, and I head the uh, what we call the Clients and Markets Department of at PwC. So, PwC, as many people know, is uh, where we help organizations and individuals to create the value they're looking for by basically delivering quality in assurance and advisory services. Um, so um, basically, our purpose really is to build trust in society and to solve important problems. So um, we do this through the work we perform with clients, as well as some of our corporate social responsibility initiatives. I, yeah, yeah. I'll stop. Thank, yeah, thank, thank you so much, Delia. So uh, I would go right into this, um, uh, the, 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 the kernel of the of the conversation so you have you have been involved with the impact service since you accent your days uh, can you please share with uh, the listening audience how i mean it really started i know it said in 2017 but you know and why really um you know just to give us a bit more of the background all right thanks margaret yeah indeed uh, we started the impact service in 2017 i think for a variety of reasons um, one was the fact that it was important for us to show that American companies or American-related companies in Nigeria are a force for good. Um, that that American, business, American businesses in Nigeria are a force for good. Uh, so we wanted to demonstrate through the impact survey um, to show to government, policymakers, um, our, our partners, our customers, our various stakeholders, the impact of American companies in Nigeria in what we call the triple bottom line. Oh. And the triple bottom line will speak to the impact in terms of, of people, uh, impact on people, impact on the planet, on the planets, and impact on terms of profit. So how American companies, how many Nigerians are they hiring directly or indirectly? How much are we investing in terms of building capacity and training people? How much are we investing in terms of the environment? We know what people would typically call CSR, uh, corporate social responsibility. So how much are we investing in terms of the environment? And then how much are we giving back to government in terms of tax? You know, whether it's um, business tax, is payroll tax or levies, um, etc. So how much are we giving back to government? And lastly, how much are we giving to investors? Uh, investors including Nigerian um, individuals who are invested in our, in, our, in, our, in, in, this, in our companies. And so we thought the impact survey would be an opportunity for us to show the various dimensions of American companies are impacting people, uh, impacting Nigerians, impacting government revenue, impacting the environment. And um, lastly, I think also those for us able to show that if the environment is more enabling, then perhaps this part, the American companies can also do more. And so through the priorities, uh, through these impacts of a ABC as a council, we also get to know the things that matters most to the members and how ABC itself would um, do its own policy advocacy to then get government to create the right enabling environment that can make 
um, American companies and any other company really um, to thrive and prosper. So I would say the, 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 those are the really the things why why we are doing this. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Ni. And just to add that you know that uh, Veraki and PwC are uh, on the board of the American Business Council. Uh, so I, I move to you, Delia. Uh, PwC championed this survey, uh, you know, working with um, like Veraki and the U.S. Embassy, the ABC, and uh, you know, and then KPMG. Um, the data in 2018 shows that the number of responses were 68 with a revenue of 1.47 trillion. Or in 2019, the number of responses were um, 45 with a revenue of 1.08 trillion. Uh, so what's the takeaway from this data? You know, because the difference in responses between 2018 and 2019 is over 50%, but obviously the revenue difference does, is not actually at par with the difference in terms of responses. Can you just give us some, some thoughts around this? Uh, thank you, Margaret. Um, yeah, it's true that um, we had about 68 respondents, you know, the last time with a revenue of 1.47 trillion. Um, this time around, with the with 45 respondents, we have a reduced, uh, slightly reduced revenue. Um, I, I think mainly it's hard to draw any causal conclusion as to what has happened here because, as you know, we we're not tracking the same companies. We're also um, we also understand that you know there are different companies that are responding to this. So each time it's it's you know it's really hard to say you know and interesting enough in this particular survey it turns out that about eight uh, companies who happen to be in the oil and gas sector actually accounted for close to half of that revenue number so you know i don't know what you want to make of that but it, it really depends on the organizations that are responding to the survey at any point in time Thanks a lot. That really brings me to the next um, question. And, you know, with 46% of the revenue uh, coming from just eight companies uh, in the oil um, sector, uh, what ways do you think the federal government um, can help or help in diversifying the economy? And how really can we improve this? All right. I think like 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 Delia said, I mean, what has happened in the survey where the oil and gas companies account for more than half of revenue. It's also the same thing that is reflective in the Nigerian economy overall, right? Um, the Nigerian economy, um, people say it's not diversified. Some would say it's diversified to the extent that uh, there are six major sectors of the economy that accounts for more than 70% uh, of the economy. So this being agriculture, oil and gas, manufacturing, trade, um, ICT and real estate. Those six are, uh, are the biggest sectors of the GDP of the economy and they account for more than 70% of the economy. Uh, but the fact remains that oil and gas, even though it's 9% of overall GDP, oil and gas accounts for 93% of our exports. So everything that we export, whether it's cement, it's uh, cocoa, cashew, Etc. Oil and gas accounts for 93% of our exports. Um, in terms of revenue, in terms of FX that comes back into government coffers, um, and so oil and gas is 
a small share of the economy, but a significant share um, of the revenue that comes to government in terms of FX. And so that's why um, people continue to say that the economy is not diversified. Um, and the government needs to continue to do more in terms of providing the right infrastructure. Infrastructure in terms of railroads, um, airports, movement from the airport, from the seaports to inland. Um, need to support agriculture. Uh, so the CBN and Coboras program, we need to do more of that. Uh, we also need to reduce the cost and increase the availability of electricity, power. I mean, power is more than 30% of cost for most SMEs. So we need to sort out the power issue. Um, talent is important. So education, uh, we, need, we need to produce world-class students, which means we need, we need to have world-class educational uh, facilities and services. Um, security is an issue. Crime is an issue. Um, IP rights, protection of IP rights. I mean, being a technology company, one can speak to that. It's, it's an issue. Um, policy uncertainties, corruption, you know, so there are many ways where the government can act to make it easier for businesses to thrive and that way we can begin to to diversify more our economy and export more um, so that oil will no longer account for 93% of um, of government um, FS proceeds, right? Yeah, thanks a lot, Nii. So just a quick follow-up on, if, on, on what you just said. If, for instance, um, we, we multilateral agencies of the U.S. government, you know, through its multilateral agencies, say, okay, we want to support um, investments into Nigeria in three, four sectors. Which sectors would you recommend? Clearly, um, I'm, I'm, I'm biased towards services because uh, services are the things you can do with um, minimal assets. And you don't have, and you can export without going through the ports. You know, you you spend days at the ports. So I'm biased towards services. Um, so Absolutely. I will I will say investment in technology. I mean, what Paystack has done with Stripe um, has shown us what is possible. Uh, so invest in technology. The second for me would be our entertainment industry. You know, whether it's Nollywood or it's um, or it's um, music. These guys are thriving today um, with minimal support from governments. You know, Nigerians in diaspora, um, Africans all over the continent, even those in um, Caribbean and North American and co. We've exported Nollywood, we've exported Nigerian music uh, all over the world. And so, I mean, I'll definitely ask for assistance to strengthen their industry um, for them to produce world-class quality um, music, world-class quality themes, and distribute them um, digitally so that the artists can end their, their, their reality. So that's the second area. And I think for me, the third area would be ele- electricity. Um, you know, we cannot prosper as a country if we continue to generate just 5,000, uh, sorry, distribute just 5,000 megawatts of electricity, whereas South Africa distributes 50,000. Um, Iran distributes only 4,000. Uh, Nigeria cannot be cannot distribute 5,000 and we expect to, to prosper. Uh, so I'll say those three. Um, and if I want to be over to the other area, fourth area will be in terms of security. 
know, we just need to sort out <laughs> sort, sort sort out the security so that people can, you know, work 24 by 7. Because right now we are not operating a 24-hour economy. We're only operating at best a 10-hour economy um, outside of Lagos. In most places outside of Lagos, people shut down by 7 p.m. and they go home. Uh, but if you have 24 by 7 electricity that's available, if you have assured security, right, um, then we can have a 24 by 7 economy um, where people can work 24 by 7 and then you can support other countries on the continent or in America or in Australia, depending on the time zone. And produces, and then you produce more. Um, you produce more, and, and everybody benefits. So those will be my four areas. Um, okay. Yeah. I, uh, thanks. Thanks very much for giving me the the fourth one. Yeah. Uh, do you want to um, share your 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 thoughts on this as well before we move into conversations yeah. around local content? Because that is a very interesting part of this conversation as well. Mm. I mean, I, I would right. like to to Nee's list and just say, you know, education and health. Um, I, I think the fact that it's difficult for us to actually pin down three or four sectors just speaks to the fact that we're starting from such a very low base on virtually every sector. Um, but I would certainly say education and health should be on that list. They can't um, continue to, you know, look at what India has done with health. I mean, people have to go all the way to other countries in order to get get uh, good health facilities. I think it's you know it's something that needs to be addressed really quickly. I mean, can't even say any more for education. Obviously, th these are two major areas where government has the capacity, you know, to do so much more. Yeah, oh, completely agree, completely agree. So we, we move to uh, the issue on uh, localization or local content. Yeah. Um, so uh, from the survey, we noticed that 54.17%, uh, we, we noticed an increase of 54.17% in organizations uh, sourcing um, local content with substantial increase of 167 percent and 14.6 percent in the uh, local supply chain um local content in supply chain sourcing and and impute areas of of the business uh, the business or the various uh of the various companies uh this obviously has resulted in about 32.6 percent local content increase in 15 of the companies uh, that were part of the survey uh, would you say that this is a reflection of uh, federal government's um, inclination to to increase local capacity or drive um, local like the localization policies, or is it just that these companies are beginning to see that it is more cost effective to pursue uh, local content uh, in in their various uh, businesses uh, in the country? Um, well, I, I think once again, you know, it's, it's hard to, because these are just numbers, but it is hard to say that is as a result of, but one thing that has remained consistent is the fact that the companies, organizations that have participated in this survey, they have continued to comply with the local content policy. So they're, they're contributing to the creation of employment, to helping to grow the local industry, and uh, obviously building capacity. And I would think that in the same vein, Nigerians are also upskilling their capabilities. 
because um, there have been surveys that have been done to suggest that you know talent is 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 um, it is uh, not very common and it's not that easy to get. But it is true, and at the same time, we also know that because of the opportunities that are being opened now with upskilling, you know, and uh, Ni, you were just talking about technology. I mean, with the technology we have now, Nigerians are certainly taking advantage of the opportunity to upskill. And so the, the um, it, it is definitely true that we do have capable people and the organizations are taking advantage of that, you know, to build their own capacity as well. So, uh, Dee, can you also speak to this issue about capacity, especially when we talk about talent? Um, so, um, I know that, you know, all through most of the, the service since, um, or since 2017, we've had issues around, uh, you know, the skill gap, you know, and the issue for, you know, really having the um, the right, uh, the right uh, talent, you know, so having the... Um, a square a square hole and a, a round peg you know um i'm trying to get the right the, the way it, it, it goes well but the bottom line is that there is a deficit in the in talent and in this in skills um that u.s companies have uh, sought to uh, resolve over the over the over the years so can you speak to this issue of the uh, skill gap and maybe what can be done uh to to encourage um the the really the closing of the of this gap right so i mean in, in, indeed you are right and i think like Dela said i mean there is significant skill gap um i think sadly what we have is a lot of quantity uh, but not quality uh in terms of the talents that are that are available and so there, are, there has to be deliberate deliberate steps and interventions to improve the quality of the talent that come out of uh, that comes out of our educational system which of course means we need to invest in the quality of the educational systems uh, we need to invest in the quality of the infrastructure in the quality of the teaching staff themselves uh, because a teacher can only teach what he or she knows what you don't have you can't um, you can't give and if you look at the world economic forum um, skills for 2022 um, your basic your science, technology, those are not regarded as basic skills. And the additions that employers are looking for are things like leadership skills, critical thinking, problem solving, um, digital marketing, analytics. Uh, most of the of these uh, may not be taught in our schools. And so we need to have finishing programs um, to teach our talents these um, new skills that, that are demanded by, by employers. And so to my mind, a number of things that we can do. First is closer interaction between the academia and the business community. You know, uh, the definition of curriculum uh, should have input from the business community, the business community being the ultimate user. Um, so let the ultimate user um, have input into what is being produced so that the output will have a good fit to the need of the ultimate user. So that's from the curriculum. Second is, uh, so is revamping the curriculum to make it market relevant. Second is making sure our teachers um, also have the right skills and the right um, knowledge and know-how um, to impact the knowledge 
that is required. And I think part of that is almost like having an exchange program where successful professionals can go into the into the classrooms to teach. And I think now with technology, with a webinar, that can be even done um, faster and easier and, and quicker. Um, no one will know banking. Uh, no lecturer will know banking as much as the managing director of a commercial bank, right? And yet the managing director of a commercial bank is unable to lecture in our universities or polytechnics because he or she doesn't have a PhD. And so we've lost the practical essence of, of, of it. And so I think a scheme that allows successful professionals to be able to go back into classrooms and impact their knowledge, uh, even though they don't have a PhD, um, will be useful. We have that in the US and we've seen how that has been very successful. Right. So, so, so that's, that's the second thing. And I think the third thing that we need to do is use more of technology. With technology, you can then get access to multiple online courses, uh, online courses that are available globally. With technology, you can create access to um, resources, teachers, lecturers, business um, men who can be teachers uh, and who can coach and teach from anywhere, um, anywhere in the world. Right. Um, and, and I think the, the, the third thing, and, my, and maybe the last one I would say, is to have more clo a closer collaboration between the schools and businesses. So today we have the industrial training for ITF. We have the student um, work exchange, but it's only for those in sciences, right? It's only for those in engineering, right? So engineering students can come to, they can have three months or six months of industrial training or attachment. Why can't that be done also for accounting students? Why can't that be done for economy students? Why can't that be done for music students? Why can't that be done for art students? Why is that restricted to only engineering students? Right? I mean, imagine if an accounting student does this modern internship in PwC, right? While he or she is still in school. Um, that would be huge because they then get access to PwC tools. They get access to mentors from PwC. They understand what good looks like. And then they, when they, by the time they come out, they, they are better off for it and they are ready, they are job ready. So for me, I would say those are three quick things that that that, that I think business and the um, educational institutions should should be looking to do to then improve the quality of talents that, that are produced. Yeah, I really need. I hear you so well when you talk about uh, you know having business um, persons. Um, lecture in the universities. I, I, I think it's very important when you have successful businessmen um, sharing their insights. And I, I believe that's perhaps one of the success stories we have around the Lagos Business School because I, I know they do um, stuff like that. And so maybe we should Absol see absolutely. more. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I, 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 also, I also do that at, uh, at LBA. So you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that that's fantastic. I'm going to move to an area that's really of great passion to me, not because I'm a woman or or for want of any other some yeah, what people say the Beijing or whatever it is. But we've seen a lot of interesting things happening in the world. We've seen the new uh, director general of WTO being our own Ngozi um, Um We've we've seen the the first um, female vice president um, in in one of the uh, in the in the world's most powerful country. 
and and now you know we there's a lot of talk around uh, women in the boardroom women in leadership and interestingly we introduced this uh, in the 2018 uh, survey uh, which really uh, showed that at least we are kind of you know thinking miles ahead and um, the survey showed uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to get some of the highlights of that survey the survey showed that the percentage estimate of women um, you know in uh, the US companies are between you know 20 to 49 percent uh, but sadly with less than 20 percent in managerial or uh, board of director um, roles if I look at this and pick this against a study um, that I, I, I checked you know uh, recently uh, that study shows that at least um, over 20 percent even if it's just marginally uh, sit on 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 the board and as much as um, 20 37 percent of these um, people women are managers 29 percent are senior managers so from your perspective Delia uh, and I'm not you know really asking because Delia, because Delia, I'm going to get back to you. Um, from your perspective as a corporate executive, what do, should uh, corporate leaders do to improve this um, gender gap? Do you see any role that, you know, the federal government may want to play or the Ministry of Labor? I, you know, I'm asking this question, but at the same time, I kind of feel that the, the answer sometimes lie within ourselves, you know. Um, you know, so they, they said it's not, um, the answer is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Eh? But I, I would I would just leave this open and Delia, please would you um, share some thoughts around this? So, so Margaret, uh, you're absolutely right about that, the, you know, in terms of ourselves. Um, but I would just say that, you know, I, I think it's obvious from the survey that businesses and policymakers still have a lot to do in creating a more gender balanced society. Um, obviously the private sector has a, an important role as well in the gender balance, diversity and inclusion um, goals. Especially because, I mean, we know that investors are increasingly realizing that, you know, gender balance is all a question of all those things that are all about sustainability, you know. So uh, in terms of what needs to be done, I think corporate leaders, I, I would say about, they need to create the conditions for success, you know. Um, so a number of studies have shown that as women advance in their careers, they seem to hit that proverbial ceiling. And this is obviously what the survey is showing with uh, less than 20% representation on the board. So I believe that if organizations aim to improve that gap, it has to be um, made a priority, a business imperative, you know, so the tone from the top must clearly promote gender equality and then it should be operationalized through the recruitment process and of course, you know, modeled by business leaders. There's all the issues about culture and the systems. You need to be able to measure those things, track progress and actually have a deliberate policy to address issues as they arise. I mean, that's one of the things. The other thing is, um, I think business leaders also need to get to know um, the barriers that women actually face. You know, women face different, you know, barriers. There's the role conflict, there's identity conflict, there's the role of wife, mother, and so many other roles that women play in a largely um, 
masculine-driven management environment. But I believe that, you know, and they say that sometimes, you know, men who have girls tend to be better at pushing for change. So the other thing I would also talk about is transparency and trust. We did a survey sometime back um, that basically says that women around the world really don't trust what their bosses are telling them about promotions and pay and what helps or hurts their careers. So there needs to be greater transparency around this thing so that they can, you know, have that ability to uh, make the decisions that by themselves get feedback that they trust. So this transparency is just part of that process, you know, that needs to work and actually working to eliminate unconscious biases that, you know, tend to um, tend to manifest themselves unconsciously. As, you know. So um, I think my last point on that is in terms of strategic support. I know a lot of times, like you, you said yourself, Margaret, I mean, Beijing conference and all of that, but truly we need strategic support of the men. We can't, this advocacy will not happen unless men are also part of the agenda. So we need support from male colleagues as well. And we need to have support at home as well. And so I think we will, we will not achieve this unless we're all working together. So in addition to giving women because it works for everyone, because those opportunities then become, you know, part of the organization. And so it's not just women who will now benefit, it will be everyone who will benefit from all of that. Well, thank you so much. Ani, uh, do you want to share some thoughts around this? Yeah, thanks. I, I think the, you know, the reality is you can only clap effectively with two hands. And if businesses, if leaders realize that women not only represent half of us, um, they are good customers, but they are also effective managers. And so it's for us, and if you want to achieve the best for your company, then you must work with the best talents available. And those best talents that are available are not necessarily a preserve of men. You know, there's no monopoly of talents. Um, that's available to men. It's just that we don't have equal opportunities. So like Vela said, men must be active sponsors of this. I mean, must create the environment and simple things as creating policies. And I think what this COVID-19 has done and the whole idea of working from home and digitalization, it's, to my mind, will make it easier for businesses to adopt flexible working hours and that will allow women at certain stage in their career to be able to work remotely, work flexibly, and not have to choose between family and work, which is what happens today. No, I mean, I don't have the statistics, but what I've seen in a few places suggests that if you have equal number of men and women starting up at the entry level, as they reach the managerial level, you have more women dropping up. Um, because they are likely to sacrifice career for family. Either they are yeah, going to they are going to join the husband, or they will stay at home to take care of the kids. Uh, but hopefully, with di with digitalization, with what COVID has shown us last year. I mean, so the last time I worked in the office, 
the last time I wore a jacket or a tie or I knotted a tie <laughs> was 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 March 2020. <laughs> right? So Veraki since March 2020 we've been working from home. And so if someone told me that I would spend a whole year working from home, I would say no. But but that has that has happened now, right? And so I think that should make more business executives to be comfortable with the idea that you could work from anywhere and still be productive, even no more productive. Because now, you know, literally, I, I start to work from like 9 a.m. and I work till like 2 a.m. every day, right? So, so, so you are even doing more, uh, working for more. You are doing more, and, and so um, I think that's one of the opportunities that this pandemic has um, has shown and wise leaders will adopt it and if we do that then we'll provide the environment for more women um, to rise up in the career ladder as opposed to the way the way it is now it is what you call a an, an alligator's mouth you know the alligator opens his mouth wide <laughs> and then it 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 introduces that as it goes on it's almost it's, not, it's, it's like a funnel there's a big mouth and then there's a very small narrow um <laughs> end and at that narrow end it's few women that that pass through and so i think so i'm hoping that perhaps that's one of the behavioral changes we can get coming out of this um, pandemic yeah i agree with you completely and so uh, you know when we talk about the women issue i always say um yes uh, women should um have you know more seats but you know standards was not being compromised and uh, with opportunities around the new um, ways of working perhaps you know that would really help and thank you so much Nii, for that that really shared and provided a lot of insight we are um, running out of time and uh, just uh, one last quick question which really is not, um, it's more like a suggestion. But we noticed, uh, you know, the, the dwindling in the number of uh, companies that responded this year, um, in spite of, you know, several outreaches and all. Perhaps it was because of the challenges of, you know, um, the COVID year, uh, but perhaps it's something else. But um, as a patent short, uh, and this is to you and to uh, Delia, uh, what do you think we need to do um, to encourage more companies to share their voice in the survey because the more we get these voices the more we can um do that so um so that is 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 very very uh, critical all right so i mean maybe two things there i think the two things the the council the abc can do um one is share the outcome of this survey to as many American companies as possible, which I know we do. And maybe we just need to do more of it. And I know this session on radio is part of is part of that um, communication. So let's communicate it out to them. And secondly, it's if the ABC can take one, two, or three policy priorities coming out of this survey, so okay, these are two, three things we see are important to you companies and um, in the next six months or eight months we want to try and work and do policy advocacy or whatever to try and tackle these two or three things and if you can then come back a year after and show progress um, that okay yeah you know we say we're going to tackle ABC 
uh, we've tackled them and this is the things we've done and these are the achievements. Then I think that also will be, will be beneficial and may encourage more companies to participate knowing that whatever feedback they gave um, is taken into account and it's used to drive some of our advocacy um, the advocacy activities of the ABC. Right. Right, thank you. Uh, any thoughts from Delia before um, we round off? Well, to add to what Nia has said, I, I think also we must note that, yes, this survey was certainly conducted in the middle of um, the pandemic when people were still sort of grappling with um, the economic realities and uh, all the issues which we were facing. Um, but I, I think also that uh, we need to deepen the relationships we have with the with our stakeholders and the organizations that need to you know, take part in this survey. Um, I, I don't know if um, perhaps working closely with um, the um, U.S. Council um, and just, you know, taking some more steps towards having, I, I know it's difficult these days now with us, everyone being online, but, uh, at, you know, in, in some time past, I think the face-to-face -face still works. Um, perhaps at a time when, 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 it's, when it's convenient to do that, to, you know, have some sort of roadshow, if you like. And um, we, we did notice that in the survey that there are some organizations that aren't, uh, that are not members of the council. And so um, I think it will be good to also reach out to them perhaps and, and uh, you know, find out how they feel and build that relationship with them. In addition, I think it's a great idea that um, I think the, the ABC is planning to go across the pond, so to speak, to West Africa. And I think that's part of some of the innovative things. It will be interesting to know, to see, you know, what the results show and compare with, say, Nigeria and what's happening here. Um, so, yeah, I think that some of those things, I'm sure we'll continue to think of more innovative ways and start early as well, you know, to engage these stakeholders as well. Thanks. Yeah, th thank you so much. So uh, we have come to the end of this very beautiful show. I, I really thought I uh, would have hoped I would go on and on uh, to talk about this. Uh, I, I know that we plan to launch, as we always do, plan to launch this uh, survey uh, on the 4th of March. And so would like everyone to, you know, stay tuned and, you know, uh, look out for the outcomes of this. And like Didier shared, um, we uh, Based on the success of the work we've been doing, we're ex extending um, the survey, uh, working with uh, the U.S. Uh, Chamber of Commerce in D.C. and a couple of AMCHAMs in, the, in West Africa. We are driving um, a survey on, on this impact as well uh, for, for this year. So uh, I would like to thank you very much, Ani, and thank you so much, Delia, for uh, coming on to the show. And uh, for our listening audience and to our listening audience, we say stay tuned for another episode of this uh, program same time uh, and uh, and we'll be glad to to have you uh, share some thoughts around this thank you thank you margaret and thank you for all you do thank you very much thank you. Bye -bye.